Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, St. Louis is a city built on brewing. The first family to stamp their name on this industry in St. Louis was the Lemps. Unfortunately, the great success of the family would also lead to many tragic ends. Join us as we take a look at the haunted mansion that the family resided in, as well as the trail just outside the city with a scary history of its own. This is episode 34 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Hauntings of the Lemp Mansion, St. Louis, Missouri. James, come on, man. This is stupid. Can't we just, like, wash your cars or clean the frat house or something? Alex said bemoaningly. Fall in line, Alex, or get out, James commanded. Now, pledges of 1966. For your last task, we have hidden a flag somewhere at the end of Zombie Road. Simply put, if the five of you manage to find the flag before daybreak, you're in. If you don't... Well, I guess we'll need to reconsider the type of candidates we're recruiting into our prestigious fraternity, James said with a flashing grin. He went on to wet his lips before putting a whistle in his mouth. The pledges had all lined up in front of the dim headlights of several cars that had brought them out there. Other than the cars, the only other lights were the unreliable flashlights and moon poking through the cloudy skies. As James blew the whistle, the pledges began to march into the darkness. Hey, do do you guys really think there's a serial killer out here? Tom said to the group. Listen, man, all the stories for out here are just made up to scare the local kids into not drinking here, Alex responded. At that moment, Tom kicked a beer can that came across inside. That seems to be working out pretty well. A little ways down the road, Alex felt as though someone was watching them. He began to look around the woods surrounding them. He thought he saw a few shadowy figures disappear into the tree line. Guys, I think I think the other guys are just trying to mess with us right now, Alex said. I don't think so, man. I overheard them talking about all the beer they brought to drink while they waited for us, Brandon said. Alex didn't respond but kept assuring himself that he wasn't going to let the older frat brothers scare him. After another 15 minutes, they came upon several different paths and trails. We should split up, Brandon said assuringly. No way, man. That's the worst idea you've ever had, said Tom. Look, the quicker we find this flag, the quicker we get the hell out of these woods and off this trail. And then we're done being pledges, and we're in. Don't you guys want that? Brandon responded. Well, yeah, but there's three trails. Someone's going to have to go alone. I'll do it, Alex said, wanting to get this over with. Be my guest, Tom muttered. Since you're going alone, Alex, you pick the trail you want. Left, right, or middle, Brandon said assuredly. I'll go left. Two hours max. Even if you don't find anything, let's meet back up in this spot, Alex said. And they broke off into their groups and started down their paths. Alex was keeping an eye and ear out. He was going to get the drop on any of the brothers that tried to scare him. A ways down the path, he started to come across the old train tracks. As he followed them, he heard a noise. Is that a whistle? He wondered out loud. Thinking James was messing with the whistle, he had. Alex stopped and listened. It began to get louder. Only, this wasn't just a whistle. Now it sounded like a horn. He listened again. 
and thought he began to hear an engine in the distance as well. No way, he thought. These tracks haven't been used in forever. All of a sudden, the loud shrill of a train horn sounded out not far down the tracks. He saw an object coming at lightning speed and out of nowhere a white apparition of a woman appeared on the tracks, looking back at him in terror. Alex looked for a moment stunned, then all he could think to do was dive out of the way. He laid on the ground as he heard the horde one final time and the scream of a woman. Then the noises all stopped. He laid there with his head buried in the ground for a few moments. Finally, he rolled over and sat up. Nothing. There was nothing. Had he imagined it, he was over it. He made up his mind to go back to the meeting spot. He got up, dusted off his pants, and as he went to turn around and head back down the trail, the woman appeared not a foot in front of him. They locked eyes, and then she snarled and said, You should have saved me. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, St. Louis, Missouri. If you travel to the eastern side of St. Louis County, you'll come across a very narrow and winding path. There's no sign for it, and in fact, its only real marking is a gate with a chain lock. This particular path is referred to as Zombie Road. Now a walking and hiking path, it started out as Lawler Ford Road, and this is one of the most haunted locations in the entire state of Missouri, filled with legends and hauntings for over a century now. Originally, it began as mostly an access road to accommodate the train tracks that ran next to it. Soon, houses would spring up around the road. What the people building it didn't realize, or didn't care about, is that they were building it on top of one of the biggest Native American burial sites in the area. The Native Americans of the land would often use this area long before the road was built to reach the Merrimack River and gather materials. One of the many chilling events on Zombie Road is that of dozens of shadow figures appearing. Many believe that these entities are associated with the Native Americans buried in the area and show up as a result of people continuously disturbing the land around them. With the roads and railways being so windy, there are several significant accidents that happened throughout the 1800s involving trains and the death of several individuals. The one death that we can be sure to say happened as a result of a train in the area is that of Deborah Hamilton McCullough. The widow of a judge, Deborah was a well-known prominent member of the area. In 1876, Mrs. McCullough was struck and killed by a train. Since then, the glowing figure of a woman has been spotted wandering the train tracks at night. On occasion, she has even been heard screaming or yelling out to people on the path. Many believe that this is the ghost of Mrs. McCullough reliving that tragic day over and over again. Another ghostly haunting comes from the abandoned and ramshackle houses surrounding the path. Many have seen lights turning on and off within the homes, even though no electricity is currently being supplied to them. One particular house even has the screams of a woman crying out for help, yet upon entering the vacant building, no one is there. None of these stories yet have explained the name Zobby Road, however. As the road was abandoned over time, it began to become a popular spot for teenagers to escape to in the 1950s. People would begin to vanish from the area occasionally and never be found. The rumor mill started and tales of a crazed serial murderer called the Zombie Killer would start. It was believed he lived in one of the abandoned shacks in the area 
and would kidnap and torture locals who were trespassing in his woods. The teenagers started referring to the path from that point forward as Zombie Road. The rumors have never been confirmed, and the tale remains legend. However, disappearances from the area are very real. The road's official name now is the Al Foster Trail. It's available for public use during the day. During the night, it is off-limits now, and the police will ticket you if found. The Lemp Mansion John Adam Lemp immigrated to St. Louis from Germany in 1838. Upon arriving, he opened a grocery store in the city. It was quickly very successful because this particular grocery store was supplying what no other could, German lager beer. John had learned the process of brewing from his father and found that St. Louis had the perfect conditions for him to brew and age it properly. Part of this was the cave system below the city that he would store the lager in. In 1840, he would abandon the grocery store completely to build a brewery, and by the time John Adam Lemp passed away, he was worth millions. Upon his death, his son William would take over the family business. William would turn out to be quite the savvy businessman. He built new facilities and expanded upon how beer was transported, turning this local business into one where his beer was sold worldwide. William Sr. would go on to have four sons, all at some point having a hand in the family business. The family mansion would be constructed in 1890 and would be in the family for decades to come. Shockingly, the son William hoped to one day turn the company over to was not William Jr., but his fourth-born son, Frederick. What the family was unaware of was the health problems that Frederick had. And in 1901, before reaching the age of 30, Frederick would die of heart failure. This took a significant toll on William. After the death of Frederick, he would become withdrawn and his health would also begin to decline. His best friend would die on New Year's Day in 1904 and it's thought this was William's breaking point. On February 13th of the same year, a servant heard a small pop come from William's bedroom. Upon rushing in, she would find a wound to his right temple and a 38 caliber revolver on the floor. This would begin the repeating tragedies surrounding the Lemp family. After his death, that's when his son William Jr. would take over the business and the mansion. He'd go on to convert some of the mansion into the company headquarters. William, who often went by Billy, married into more local royalty. His wife Lillian Hanlon was a railroad supply heiress and was known as the Lavender Lady, as she used the color on as many items as she could. In 1909, they would be the talk of the town as Lillian would file for divorce. She would tell in court of a time he beat her in the bathroom until she was able to barricade herself in her own bedroom. Billy also had a detective follow her on more than one occasion and threatened her with a revolver. She would be granted the divorce in custody of their child, with Billy only getting visitation rights. Another cause for their divorce may have been the fact that Billy was known to sleep around. And this brings up the legend of the monkey-faced boy. Rumors swirled for years about a child that was locked in the attic of the house. It appears that Billy had a child with one of the many women or prostitutes that he was known to sleep with. When this child was born, he had Down syndrome. Billy, being ashamed and embarrassed, the child would be locked in the attic to live out his days, never to see the outside world. Some even believe upon his death that he was buried in the mansion walls to keep the shame Billy felt a secret. The more likely story, though, is he is buried on the family plot with a very small marker that only says, Lemp. 
There's no documented proof that the boy existed. However, a historian researching the house spoke to a nanny and chauffeur, and they both verified the boy's existence and let them know he was indeed housed in the attic and sometimes the servants' quarters. Time would march on, and more family tragedies would begin to occur. In 1920, Elsa Lemp Wright, daughter of William Sr. and sister of Billy, would be found dead of an apparent suicide in her own home. The death was under suspicion at the time and all the way up until now. She was shot through the chest, yet no blood was found around the body. And for some reason, they would even leave the body in the room and perform the embalming there. She had divorced her husband in 1919 and written a new will without him in it. They would get remarried a year later, and 12 days after this, Elsa would be found dead. Many believe that her husband Thomas was guilty of murder, yet it was never proven. Prohibition kicked in during this time, and Billy would begin to sell off the company assets. He became depressed and started to exhibit a lot of the same behavior that his father had. On December 29, 1922, while sitting in his office on the first floor, Billy would take a 38 caliber revolver and shoot himself in the heart, ending his life in the same building his father had with the same type of gun. Billy's brother Charles would move into the mansion with Billy's illegitimate son still living there, with the belief that the monkey-faced boy would die around his 30s. Charles was considered an odd fellow as he was a gigantic germaphobe and wouldn't leave or touch anything without a pair of gloves. On May 10th, 1949, Charles would bring his Doberman Pinscher, by all accounts a dog he loved more than anything, and shoot it with a 38 caliber revolver in the basement. After this, he climbed the stairs to his bedroom on the second floor and would shoot himself. After this, Edwin Lemp was the final living member of the family. He had left the family in 1913 and become a recluse. He would live until age 90 and passed away in 1970. Upon his death, his last wishes were to his butler. He asked him to collect all the priceless paintings, letters, notes, and anything the family had collected over the years and burn it all. In the end, most of the priceless artifacts of one of St. Louis' most prominent families would go up in a blaze of fire. After this, the house would be turned into a boarding house, and that's when the reports of ghostly spirits began. People began to hear knocking throughout the building with no signs of a person in sight. They'd also hear people walking around in areas that people could not possibly be in. Throughout the years, the tales of the hauntings would spread, and it began to become more difficult to rent out the rooms. In 1975, the house would be sold to Dick Pointer and transformed into a restaurant and inn. The hauntings to the staff began almost immediately. On top of the footsteps and knocking, items would mysteriously disappear, doors would begin to lock and unlock on their own, and even glasses lifting and floating across the room would occur. Many staff members have quit over the years, stating they're too terrified to continue working there. The attic is believed to be haunted by the monkey-faced boy. People approaching the building have seen a boy peeking out the window. Upon entering, they're told no one is in the attic. Many paranormal researchers have spoken to the ghost of a boy named Zeke. They believe this may be the monkey-faced boy. During an EVP session, when asked how he died, he simply replied with, pushed. During investigations, people will often line up a bunch of toys only to come back and find them moved. 
William Sr.'s old office has also seen many paranormal occurrences. One of the most common ones is that people will hear someone swiftly moving towards the room and then the sounds of someone kicking the door. On the day William took his life, it said Billy ran to the room and started kicking the locked door to get in. On the first floor, there's a painting of the Lavender Lady. Occasionally, guests passing by the painting have reported smelling lavender as they walk by it. The women's bathroom on the first floor is a renovated part of where Billy dwelled when he owned the mansion. Women have often said they feel as though they're being watched and they're uncomfortable while in the area. Others have even reported seeing a man peeking over the stall they're in. When they go to confront the culprit, he's vanished and they're in the bathroom alone. A couple staying a night in the inn were woken by the sounds of someone constantly walking around their bed. While they each thought that it had to be their significant other, they soon realized they were both still in the bed. And whatever it was that was circling them began to moan. It is believed that all of the Lemp family members that met their demise in a brutal fashion and others that did not are now haunting the mansion. From the suicides, possible murders, to the child being locked in the attic, there are plenty of souls lurking around the Lemp Mansion, and there's little reason to argue with the fact that this is one of, if not the most haunted location in St. Louis. What's going on, folks? Welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 34, the Lemp Mansion and other locations in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. What's up, Rob? Do you think Dave can ever do anything right? Just one time for me? Can you just be on screen when we come up? I told him to turn down his microphone preemptively. <laughs> like we were about to go on. I was like, I know he's going to be too loud. So let me tell him now. Dave, turn down the microphone. So that's why he was gone. It's my fault. But uh, speaking of which. That's also are, why I came in uh, laughing. Oh, so Jesus, we're dead. <laughs> he's already screaming at us. We just started the show. <laughs> welcome, Dave. Uh, and welcome everyone to everyone who's hanging out in the live chat. Um, I want to apologize to people that are watching the stream that my face is swollen. I have a large left side of my face. I tried to fix it before the stream. I had a giant ice pack on it. It might look normal. It doesn't feel normal to me. So if I'm off today, it's because my face is swollen. We had a disagreement on the next episode, and now <laughs> Jesse's face is swollen. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't have a cool fight story. I'm pretty sure it's just a cavity or something. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one thing after another with me. Last week, I had the sickness, if you will. And now this week, I have a swollen face. Everything, everything's terrible. My life is uh, going downhill fast. So, mm. yes. Anyways, uh, that is uh, St. Louis, the Zombie Road, the Lemp Mansion, and did you cover one other spot there? Nope. It, it probably should have just been the Lemp Mansion, to be honest with you, but I wasn't really sure when else I'd be able to cover Zombie Road, and Zombie Road is just too cool of a name not to cover, so uh, we made sure we got that in there as well. It's a very cool name. That was the location that your buddy was too afraid to go to. Yes, so um, Eric Bimefor, who is my boss, we don't really talk about it much, but we'll talk more about it at the end of this episode. I do fantasy football content as well, and Eric Bimefor is my boss. He lives in the area, and he was going to join us tonight. We just launched a new product, and there are some hiccups in it that we're working out. So he was unable to attend. Anyways, he was offering to get us footage of whatever we were covering tonight, if he could get down there and I told him we were covering zombie road 
And his message back to me was, dude, I'm not going to a place called fucking zombie road. I like to be alive. And <laughs> that was what the, that's how the conversation ended. I understand like it is an alarming road. So of all the streets that we've covered, that's definitely got um, one of the more alarming. Now, if you Google map it, is it actually called zombie road or is it just a nickname? No, it's now um, the Al Foster trail. It's not even a road anymore. So it was a road in the 1800s or so. And now it's just, um, now it's just a trail that it's about 2.3 miles long and it, Brings you to the old train tracks. There's some old houses, supposedly, that are broken down. I have a bone to pick with people from St. Louis, by the way. Let's uh, let's get rid of some of our audience here. <laughs> you always can, do. Can <laughs> you people in St. Louis that go down these trails learn how to use your damn cameras properly? Like, every footage I saw of this, whether it was video or, or pictures, was the worst v- film I've ever seen in my entire life. So all you got to do is just film and you don't need to jump in front of it. You don't need it. Just, Oh my God. I was so annoyed looking up everything for zombie road. So Cash says all the cameras are being held. Oh, it yeah. makes sense now. That makes, makes sense. sense now. Yeah. Fair. That we've so on, on behalf of Rob Coakley and hometown ghost stories, we apologize to the St. Louis people. He just offended. He always does. Yep. Yep. He always does. Not That's fine. But yeah. Right. So, so, <laughs> There wasn't many well-executed photos of Zombie Road itself. So um, if you are there, though, it sounds really cool. Unfortunately, you can't go there at night because the police do patrol it, and they will fine you. And what I was seeing is fines start at $1,100 if they catch you out there. So maybe all the video was of people running from the police. (laughs) Also, Also probably valid. So the footage will come out the same if they're running from police or running from zombies. So true. Yep. Um, I found it. I found it still a fascinating road. The name obviously comes from the legend of the serial killer. That was never actually a serial killer. That seems completely fabricated by the locals to scare kids or to explain some missing people, some, you know, missing person cases that happened out there over the years, you know, you have all the elements there. You have this abandoned trail, abandoned railroad tracks, abandoned houses, uh, people going missing here and there. The story kind of writes itself, right? You know, there's a guy living by the abandoned railroad tracks on the abandoned road and the abandoned house, um, snatching people up and skinning them or whatever he's doing with them clearly eating them or something since they're calling him the zombie killer. That was probably part of the legend. And it just affectionately became known as zombie road. Yeah. I mean, probably not a serial killer, but maybe, maybe just a really good serial killer that hasn't, that never got caught. Also, also true. You know, torso, although you would, you would think that you'd see more newspaper stuff. The torso killer never got caught. Right. And we know that he was an, he was an actual killer. Right. Unless, right. unless it's because we couldn't find the bodies. Right. Which is yeah. if he was a zombie eating people, you know, then maybe you wouldn't find the bodies unless it's one way to you might find, evidence. you might find bones though. Yeah. Unless he found a use for those two. Maybe he was just like a, a serial killer that didn't let anything go to waste. 
He's like the bear, gri- the bear, gr- the bear grills of serial killers, right? Maybe bear grills is the serial killer. Oh, maybe We're on to something now. Where's he uh, from? Probably, probably not St. Louis. Yeah, I don't think. Probably Australia or something. <laughs> Who thought that we would get into Bear Grylls being a serial killer on this episode? Because that's <laughs> not that's not the way that I thought this was going to go. From London. Uh, uh, same thing. Same thing. Um, so other stories like the the woman that actually got hit by the train, the wife of the judge. She was a widow. Her husband was already dead. That's documented. And they're not really sure how it happened. It's just more documented that she was hit and killed by the train. And there's a woman apparition that shows up around the train tracks, and they're assuming that it's her. It's come with the sound of a train horn sometimes. Sometimes she's, like, screaming out like she's reenacting the event, uh, which is, you know, a residual. Terrifying. Yeah, coming across that would be a horrifying thing, especially if it's, like, 12 o'clock at night. You see this ghost, you're scared shitless, and you're walking back, and you get an $1,100 fine on top of it. it would be yeah, the, scariest yeah. part. <laughs> the absolute worst. All right. In 2019, Bear Grylls teamed up with a St. Louis Cardinals baseball player to be in the wild in St. Louis and survive in the wild. Did the, the baseball player ever make it back? I don't know. What is the wild in St. Louis? Zombie Road. All right. It's all starting to add up. It's all starting to add up. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but this, I like well, to be fair. Road. To be fair, Zombie Road is not in St. Louis. It is ah. west of St. Louis. Wow. Way to ruin the episode, Dave. Uh, anybody <laughs> with a map. <laughs> <laughs> so you're wrong because it is in St. Louis. Counting. Counting. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> right. Isn't so, the, um, the original Exorcist house in St. Louis? It is. That was something I was looking into, and I think that would probably make better side content, but the general gist is their house is there, but the actual exorcism front I was reading happened in a hospital um, in the city as well. So you'd have to really um, find a way to, to frame that episode, and I didn't think it would make sense to put it in this yet. Plus, even if it did, we, it we are going to its own episode. Yeah, and we'll be doing more St. Louis stuff, I'm sure. There's a lot more St. Louis things. We'll hit on a few extra things that I didn't put in the episode. Later, there's a haunted high school we'll talk about. But what I like about Zombie Road is you have a ton of different tales that um, are associated with this road. So you have the zombie killer, which I think is clearly a legend. You have the woman that was hit by the train, which we can document and prove happened. And then we have other ones that we're not really sure what they are. Some of the abandoned houses, you have the woman screaming from one, the lights turning on and off, even though there's no electricity supplied to the houses anymore. Uh, so you get, you get, you get a little bit of everything on zombie road in terms of what type of haunts there are. And I'm actually shocked. It's not a little more well-known than it, than it is. Cause I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, the lights turning on and off in houses that um that don't have electricity is always an interesting phenomenon. You saw that at uh, Waverly Hills before they restored power to the building, they would see lights on and stuff. So, yep, Oswego was another one. Yeah, so it's a, it's a common one, but it's a very cool one, especially in places where there should not be electricity, and yeah, definitely in abandoned houses. I mean, who's paying that electric bill? There's no way. 
Yeah, and you're walking down this pathway, see this abandoned house, a light turns on, and foolishly, some people have gone and investigated to see, let's go see what that light is. And, yeah, it almost uh, seems like a trick to try to like lure you in, like, hey, well, I mean, obviously, when you walk up to a stranger's house and they turn the light on, that's more of a go-away thing, but if you're, it just seems like a welcoming thing, like, hey, lights are on, come on in. Yeah. Uh, seems like a trick to get you to go inside. But Scare then stuff. there's nobody there, so... Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the the main attraction of this episode, which is the Lemp Mansion. And the Lemp Mansion was actually going to be the second or third thing I covered for this for this podcast. And I kind of backburnered it. And then through some events I decided uh let's pivot this week and let's cover the Lemp family because they have a really interesting history it's a very meteoric rise a very hard fall for most of the family and a lot of strange occurrences like surrounding it without talking about just the suicides there's a lot of there's a lot going on within just basically two generations of this family so says it's more like the limp mansion because they're all dead. That's <laughs> nice. See now, now the chat is starting to catch on the way we do jokes here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, they, they have just this like fascinating history where when you think of St. Louis and like their industry, there is the industry you think of with St. Louis. At least that's like what I think. St. Louis and Milwaukee. Right. It's the two big ones. It's Anheuser-Busch, right? St. Louis is Anheuser-Busch, and that's what you think. And you would assume, which is what I would assume, that Anheuser-Busch was the first big brewer brewing company in St. Louis, and it's just not the case. It was the Lemp family when um, John – I've seen his name written as John and, like, Johan. So I'm guessing he was, like, Johan, and he came over to America, and everyone just called him John is what I'm – Assuming yeah, they, uh, immigrants would typically Americanize their names when they came over so they'd fit in because during that period and before that, it was, a, you know, they were stigmatized if you're an, an immigrant. Right. You know, so they'd uh, often change their names. So he comes over with his family. He opens this grocery store. And growing up, his father had taught him how to brew German lager. And finds out that there's this cave system under St. Louis that I never even knew existed. And it works out that he's able to access this cave system and it's perfect, just absolutely perfect for brewing this German lager and aging it properly. And he can't keep it in stock. Yeah. So for lagers specifically, when you're, um, when you're going through the um, fermenting process, the yeast has to be kept at like 40 degrees. Mm-hmm. Which back then it was hard to achieve that for a long period of time because they didn't have refrigerators. So he had this cave system and he was able to, you know, ferment it at the right temperature. Yeah, that's David. why you deal with a lot of places where they have to do it in cellars. That's why when you had the the Mango Hotel, their uh, their thing was also brewing. Uh, one of their things, anyways. But a lot of their money came from brewing, and they had their entire underground system uh, built underneath the hotel where they would uh, they would chill the beers there as well. Dave and, and Jesse are so erect that we can talk about brewing beer <laughs> right now. Finally. And then the other thing that helped the uh, Lemp family was specifically the fact that they had established their uh, their company before the Civil War because I think there was like 40 competitors 
before the Civil War, you know, so they were kind of fighting for that top spot, but they, they had established themselves. When the Civil War happened, at least half of those went under and they couldn't survive through the war. And the, that only helped out the Lemp family after the war ended. And they just kind of grew to, uh, grew to fame and glory. And they were kind of untouchable after that because they grew so big with all the competition gone. Yeah, they were, they were a massive company. And from all accounts, I can't remember, I think it was William Jr. that would, uh, actually work as sort of like like he would work with other companies that were up and coming like Anheuser-Busch and he even married the family even married someone Pabst I think they one of them married a Pabst which I would assume is part of like Pabst Blue Ribbon so yeah Cash Cash I need you to send me that photo on Twitter so I can pull it up on the stream so people can see it because I'm assuming that's what Dave's dying laughing at too I've already saw questions about my face <laughs> yeah. I I honestly have no yeah, idea what's going he said, on. He sent he sent me a Photoshop image of my fat face, and I need to pl- I need to put it on the stream so people can see what we're dying laughing at right now. Okay. It hurts to laugh. Oh, my cheeks, my All cheeks. Right. So back to the lamps. They oh, so they the audio listeners. They <laughs> no idea what's going on. They end up getting rid of doing the um, the grocery store, and they just go straight to brewing beer, and they become millionaires like quickly like they they amass a fortune unlike most others these people were rich rich like real rich and they end up building this mansion buying this house building this mansion it doesn't look like a mansion when you look at it you saw some pictures on the stream it just looks like a regular house but this house they imported italian marble they had um mahogany from africa they had an elevator in there in the 1800s and it's just who the hell has an elevator in their house now not many people unless you're like that's a good point <laughs> crazy crazy yeah. rich right like and who in the hell fairness, wants an in elevator fairness, in their house in fairness get off your high horse this does not look like a regular house from outside it does look like it looks at minimum like a library but it's definitely a massive i mean it's a, it's a big house but it holds up when you go inside it, it is absolutely gorgeous like even like the black and white super shaky footage that you use of that person frantically running through the house or whatever it was that was but like, slowed down yeah why, why i slowed so that down <laughs> but the uh the bathrooms were like those massive slates of marble and uh man just what a what a sick house it still is and what drove me nuts as a piano player and a piano teacher was they had a baby grand piano wedged in a hallway right next to a window and if anyone's ever played piano before the best way to ruin your piano is put it right next to a freaking window with all that sunlight throwing your piano out of tune but i'm not blaming the lamps okay yeah i'm blaming whoever wedged the piano in their ass. pianos are ridiculous with how they get thrown out of tune like if you move it or like if it gets too much sun if it's humid talk to it too sternly talk to it too sternly (laughs) There's too many ghosts in the house. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's gone. Did you say? Did you now? You had uh, mentioned in the private chat that the piano is haunted. Yeah, does it, play, does it play on its own? Yeah, it's with that whole classic story that the piano will start playing on its own um, mm-hmm. when people are staying in the house, and there's no rhyme or reason to who was doing it. It just starts playing on its own. It's also um, a baby grand piano, and uh, from what I know, for player pianos, they're usually upright pianos. I've never seen a baby grand be a player piano. Player piano means you could turn it on and have it play by itself if you install a roll. Uh, 
which you could quickly debunk like, okay, I don't think this ghost is sitting here just jamming out some ragtime stride piano or something. <laughs> it's usually just a creepy couple notes playing, but yeah. typically it's not baby grand pianos. And the one in that house is at least a baby grand. Yeah. So, th- so they get super duper rich just out of, you know, out of nowhere, essentially, you know, it was, it took years, but like we're talking in terms of the money they had, it's, it's an astronomical rise, right? It's inventing, Amazon. It's it's one of those situations. Like you just get money at this rapid pace, and William Senior ends up having four sons. He has a couple daughters as well, obviously. And weirdly, he doesn't want William Junior to be the one to take over the business. He wants Frederick, one of the younger sons, to be the one to take over the family business. Here's the strangest thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your point. I don't think so. I, I, on that though, I don't think it's that strange. I mean, it could have been that. I mean, we don't know if uh, William Jr. was an, an idiot when it comes to running a business. Like, not you have a lot, yeah. You have a lot of this stuff with with rich families and their rich kids. Is the kid ends up being a party or he's just blowing money left and right? And you're like, I don't trust handing my business over to this kid. Or doesn't but, have leadership qualities or just can't you know isn't the right person to run a business? So he's like, oh, this or, or this son does happen to have these qualities. Mm. Well, well, he, point, though. well, part of that was going to be my point is I, I do think that he had some issues with William Jr. I don't think it was his business sense because clearly he brought the company after his father's death to heights, heights that I had never seen. It also got to the point that it was, had, had to sell. But I mean, a lot of that came with prohibition. I think he knew that he was kind of a psychopath. There was like, this dude had some serious, shit going on in his personal life. Like, I I don't know if you caught the newspaper clipping from this is getting ahead of where I wanted to go, but the newspaper clipping from the divorce, one of the arguments that his wife brought up was that they took his, their son out to feed monkeys that they owned. So they had pet monkeys. And what do you think he was feeding the pet monkeys? Beer? Beer. Live birds. Why would we guess that? That's my point. That's all we knew about this family. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my point. It's like you're never going to guess like what this, this psychopath was doing. He also would um, give his yeah. wife... Andrew just completely reasonably just leaves in comment <laughs> bananas. Like, why was that our guess? <laughs> we're immediately like, ah, oh, he must have been feeding him beer. <laughs> well, I, I don't think we were thinking that Rob was going a practical angle there. Right, right. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. They brought it up in court. A balanced diet. Everyone's like, okay, where are we going with this? Um, So, yeah, he just fed his kids well-balanced diets. So let's get get back to the point of Frederick being the one that he was going to lead the business to. Now, Frederick had some health issues. All, All the reports that are substantiated are... They think he had health issues and they think he died of like a heart failure situation. The, the, um, if you want to go the other way with it, people are saying that there was no indication that he had health issues and they think he was poisoned. Yeah. I read everything I read was that it was mysterious circumstances. Right. So there's that angle on it. To be fair though, that a lot of, Diseases that they didn't understand back then were mysterious circumstances. 
the sickness. They, they, just, they got, yeah, the sickness, or they just assumed everyone was being poisoned. Right. So you have that whole angle. Um, so, and that just breaks the heart of William Sr., because clearly this was like one of, you know, you can say all you want, you're not supposed to play favorites, but some parents do. And it really seemed like this was one of his favorite children. And it just left him in mourning for a few years. His best friend then dies. And it starts the trajectory of this family starting to take their own life at, at least, like, yeah, I mean, a rapid pace. They fell from, from grace, for sure. I mean, the company was booming. You had a bunch of events that led to its decline, not even just Prohibition, but um, throughout the 1990s. Well, this is, this is William Sr. I'm talking about, not William Jr. William Sr. is the original owner, and then his son took it over. And William Jr. had the company, and it went even better for 20 years or so. Right. Uh, he died in, oh yeah, 1901. So then uh, the, they, the business started getting all messed up around 1919, and they sold it in 1920. Right. They had to sell it at auction. I guess they had to like liquidate a bunch of their assets to pay for the house and keep the, uh, so they didn't lose the house. And the company that was once worth $7 million was auctioned off for 600 k Right. So sold for a fraction. And in between all that, you have all the deaths. So you have the one that I find the most interesting is Elsa. I find the story of Elsa very, very interesting. She's the daughter of William Sr. She marries a man. They get divorced. And after getting divorced, they get remarried. And then 12 days later, she's found dead. So the interesting part of it is she gets shot. There's no blood in the room at all. They don't find like markings of any any blood pattern, and, and she's shot to death, right? That was Elsa? Yep. And did, she, did she try to let it go, maybe? Mm, I had so a they, feeling. I, were they, I had, when I was writing this episode. Maybe they had like, their assets frozen. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they had a lot of problems. You done? Do you I'll want to move? Do you want to? Yeah, please leave. Please leave. <laughs> so they don't find a blood pattern, and then the thing that I found the weirdest, the weirdest part of this is they never move the body, and they do all the embalming and stuff in the room that she died in. Have you ever heard of this before? I mean, I've I've read like weird practices of what you know, other, they did in the 18, 1900s in terms of embalming and stuff like that. And I've never heard them be like, yeah, just leave the victim in the room and come there in a few days and just do everything at the house. Yeah, no, I can't say I've ever heard, heard of that. Um, but it's, it doesn't shock me that they did weird stuff. I don't know. They did real weird stuff back then, but, um, so shot, but no blood. That makes shot me think that she was murdered and then shot. And, or so moved, that, right? Or moved, right? So that's well, the other no, thing. No blood, though. Like, wouldn't there be blood on her clothes? Well, know? I'm guessing there was, like, a ring of blood on her clothes or something. Maybe. I don't I don't know the clothing, but I know there was no active, like, blood puddle or anything like that. Because if, I think if you shoot a corpse, it won't bleed, I think. I don't know a lot about shooting corpses. <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> well, I'm not going to really try it. <laughs> <It's> happening. 
So, so you have that. Um, I just started saying it, and then I was like, I want this back. back. <laughs> How cold are these corpses that you've been shooting, Dave? I don't know. When when William Jr. shows up to the scene of the crime or suicide, whichever one you want to believe, he as he shows up, he goes, well, that's the Lemp family for you. That's his quote. Thanks. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, yeah, we get it, bro, but like, that's your sister. Why don't you relax a little bit? Um, so there's that whole thing, and then he takes his own life a little bit later. So there's three... Two for sure suicides, one that might be a suicide slash murder. And on top of that, we got his, we need to get into William Jr. real quick. Uh, some more of the stuff that this guy was doing, because he's like the psychopath of the family, in my opinion. Did you guys read about what he gave his wife every day to spend? A grand? Yeah. So he gave her $1,000 every day. In the early and- 1900s. In the early 1900s. And the caveat was, you have to spend this $1,000 every day or you're cut off. Yeah, that, challenge accepted. I mean, yes, I would love the challenge. That's but, so much money, though. Like at that time, that's worth at least $1,100. Ready? But it's tough. ready for it? It's yeah. uh, $1,000 uh, in 1901 is equivalent purchase power to about 34387 today. That's tough. I just come with a new car every day. Okay. This is what you wanted. Driveway's full. (laughs) Coming tomorrow. I don't don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, Maybe get him a tank of gas today at this point. Yeah, seriously. But so the reasoning, they think the reasoning behind this is because he was, this dude was a scumbag, right? So he just wanted her out of the house, right? The point was he was throwing these, they ended up putting a swimming pool in those caverns. And they had like tunnels to the brewery that they could go underneath the house to, which is a whole nother thing. And this is why I was saying this whole episode probably should have just been on the Lemp Mansion. There's so much to it. But he was throwing these lavish parties with prostitutes and everything for his friends like every night in these caverns. And they think that giving her the money was a way just to get her the hell away from him. Yeah, because this was almost like an arranged marriage of sorts. They were too very wealthy families coming together. She was like a railroad tycoon's daughter. So she had money too. Um, and then they actually did get the so divorce. He, he was like, he's like, how do I impress her? Yeah. 30, 34 grand a day. Yeah. yeah. And send her on her way. And that was the life for, for them for a while. Um, I wonder if that's something that got exaggerated over time. You know, like the telephone theory. Oh, it maybe. never gets bigger every time somebody tells a story. Maybe it was a hundred dollars a day. Yeah, but which is still, still like more than yeah, it's still a thousand dollars a day of our money, roughly, to spend. Yeah. So, but he also beat her. He was he was a cruel man, cruel person, and I wonder if that's why William Senior didn't want him to be in charge of the family business because he knew he was kind of. You know, like, mentally that's exactly unstable. what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, he's like a partier. You know, like he's he's yeah. throwing these big parties with a bunch of prostitutes and beating his wife and everything. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want you running my business. And then, get him out of here. Give it to the kid. And if the stories of the illegitimate kid are true, then he's just like the worst person to ever walk the planet. Mm. Right. You get a lot of those stories, especially back in this time. I mean, and it was all the way up. 
in the, the top 1000 worst people ever to walk the planet maybe yeah inflated yeah. to the top 10,000 today mm. so <laughs> it, i mean you you get stories like this all the time when you have someone with disabilities or like mentally ill people they would either just lock them in their attic lock mm-hmm. them in their basement or ship them off to the uh, asylums and that would that stopped like in the 70s maybe i mean like it was going up really strong through the 50s i mean the height of like abuse at these institutions was in the 50s but i mean these places were still open in the seventies and eighties. I mean, this was just what they, this was a terrible, terrible way that they treated people. It was not uncommon. And that's, that's the worst part of it. Right. And it's not documented, but what I found fascinating with it is the historian that went to the chauffeur and the maid that worked there. And they both substantiated the story. They were like, no, this boy did live here. He stayed in the attic or sometimes in the servants quarters, but, he basically never left the house and they think he lived into his thirties with his uncle. I believe it was Charles. If I have it, I right. think it was Yeah, Charles had a very mean face. Charles was, this whole family was kind of scary looking like, I know it's like older pictures and it does that, but in particular, most of this family was very like sinister looking, especially the when they, they had the high um, or they had the money to get these high quality photos done. Cause a lot of times when we're looking at pictures, from the early 1900s or, or whatever, the pictures are really bad or at a real distance. This one's like close-up HD, you know, yep. shoot it with a 4K <laughs> camera. You're like, wow, where'd they get that? They had, but they had the money, you know? Yeah. So it just makes them, but it makes them even creepier because they still get that stoic, we don't smile in pictures look. And um, yeah. So Charles ends up being a, a douchebag too and he kills his dog and then kills himself in the house. So that's, four deaths of the family. William the third, I didn't bring up. I couldn't, I couldn't make sure that he passed in the house, but he died in his early forties, I believe of a heart attack. I saw, I saw one source that said it was in the house, but the same source mistake got some of the names wrong of different people. So I was not going to rely on that one. Um, and then it gets down to Edwin who was the family like the family black sheep who stayed away from the family until everyone was dead. And he lives until 1970 dies and instructs his Butler to burn all of the family um, keepsakes, including the paintings. And what I didn't talk about in this episode is they were big on paintings. This family had paintings all over the house and they had, vaults i think it was three vaults built into the house to store their paintings so it's just an absolute crazy fact to sit there and tell your butler to burn all of these priceless artifacts like i don't even know what kind of paintings they had especially when some of these bigger names yeah when the business is gone at that point and you need you need the money right to, to try to keep the house that's it's wild yeah, so it's it's just really, it's just such a crazy story. And they say that the butler did burn it all. I assume that he didn't. And just a, a real random theory that I came up with while investigating this whole episode is what if the, he thought there was some kind of curse on the family, right? And he thought the way to just end the curse completely was to get rid of 
everything that the family had purchased over the years of getting rich. Because that's looks like what happened to the family. They got rich and then shit just started happening to them. I'd probably so, try some other strategies first. Maybe well, he's already place. dead. Yeah. He's already dead, so he doesn't care. Yeah, it sounds um, like he did it out of spite. He's a bitter that, old man. That's what it sounds yeah. like, yeah. Also could be that as well. And if you're the butler, you're just like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. And then you're just like... Yeah. Then you just I'm off open. I'm off to burn these. Just yeah. yeah. Right Can you imagine if, if he actually did that? He did do it. Well, I don't know if he's burned all of them, but he burned a lot of the stuff. I would have wow. burnt like bed sheets and stuff and be like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. And then yeah. just yeah. took definitely all the art. Yeah. Don't look in my car. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely didn't fill it up with all these priceless artifacts. Yeah. Who's checking to make sure he did it? I I don't know, man. It's 52 so years just, ago. There's no way. Not a single item worth anything was burnt. That's my Oh, I, I agree with that. I, I think he burned some of the stuff, but I don't think it was any of the high price stuff. Yeah, yeah like the Say goodbye to this art. bath mat. Yeah. <laughs> All your magnets, gone. Yeah. Let's talk about the ghosts. What, uh, what are the hauntings the here? I want to talk about one more thing that was just like absolutely insane in terms of William Jr. that I forgot to bring up earlier. So he has this standing shower in his house, right? A standing bath or standing shower or whatever it is. He went to a... I think most showers are standing showers. It wasn't back then, though. Okay. Not These were one of the first ones. He went to a hotel in France, and they had it, or Italy. It was Italy, actually, sorry. He went to this hotel in Italy. He gets there. He's like, I want this. And he buys the the shower from his hotel and has it shipped from Italy to St. Louis. He bought the actual shower. That's the kind of money he had. When you got it like that, but I would probably <laughs> be like, Hey, just uh, tell me how to do this. Send me the plans. Can I get, yeah. plans? you know, yeah. let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, uh, I gotta tell you, like, like we, we were in Greece and the windows in Greece are amazing. They all got like a handle on them, almost like a screen door where you open them and it, they're, the windows are phenomenal. And I'm like, I want these windows, but they don't sell them in America. So if I had the money, I would have been like, I'm buying windows, taking them back. You just Same concept, right? Just come over on a sailboat with them and, you know, call it a day. Runs in the family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's get into some of the ghosts, though. Um, I had a cool one. It was, mm-hmm. well, it's actually not just, it's not like a ghost. It's a, it's a haunting that people have um, reported there. And when people are there, they note that they think they see their shadows or what looks like their shadow, but then the shadow will move on its own without the person moving. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that happens repeatedly with different people, which I think is unique. I haven't heard about that one before anywhere else. That's actually uh, interesting because the, you had a lot of the same stories at Zombie Road. I was just reading about, I don't know if Rob mentioned the shadow figures over there, but people not only see shadow figures in the trees, but sometimes they will see literally hundreds of them at the yeah. same time. And then when they shine a light on them, they just start to move. That's interesting. That's the same thing. Maybe it's a city, uh, maybe it's a St. Louis County kind of thing. Yes. Well, the, the shadow people, they believe are part of the um, Native American burial ground that they have there. So they think that that's where the shadow people are coming from. But it's also possible that I mixed up the two locations. Nice. Uh, so we're going to run right. with the St. Louis County theory instead. It's much better for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're professionals here. So, all right, we're going to start this episode over. Cue up the video, <laughs> Jesse. 
Uh, so some of the other ghosts are William Jr., who is a pervert ghost, where they find him in the woman's bathroom peeking over the, the stall. And they believe it's him because that bathroom is sort of in. He had like his little wing that he stayed in when he had the house. And that's where that bathroom is. So they believe that is William Jr. doing that. And who there's else, who else would it be? Right. And there's stories of women that have gone there and um, like went there with friends. And she came out of the bathroom. She's like, that was real funny, guys. And they're like, what are you talking about? They go, you were peeking over the stall at me. And the bartender's like, no, they were with me the whole time. It definitely wasn't them. And also, that's no not funny. There. Also. Right. That's right. not a funny prank. Right. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> invasion. Yeah. Uh, real yeah. quick, uh, Banshee, thank you for the uh, 200 bits. You're a legend. Appreciate that on Twitch. So, yeah, that's, that's William Jr. Um, sticking with William Jr., sort of William Sr., the room that he died in, there is the sounds of the door being kicked. Like people will hear like the door just getting like kicked and like someone's trying to get in. And what happened the, the day that William senior killed himself is the maid heard it. She called William jr. And I believe Charles, but I'm not sure if it was Charles or Edwin to come to the room with her. They ran to the room and it said that William Jr. was, Billy, as he was referred to, was kicking the door to try to open it. He couldn't get it open. Oh, that's sad. So there's noises of that. One that I don't think I put in the episode, when you're in William Sr.'s bedroom, sometimes people have heard horses out the window, but there's no horses to be found. And that window overlooked where they would keep their horses back in the day. It's like one of those residual haunting type things. Right. Yeah. It's also a common one. But that's what you get. That's uh that's interesting. The kicking of the door one is uh that one broke my heart a little bit. It's a sad one. The um bedroom one was scary where the couple was in the bedroom and they just heard something like dragging around the bed and like waking up and thinking it's like your wife or your husband. And you're like, what are they doing? Why are they like dragging themselves around the bed? And you look and they're still in bed with you. Like that is, that is a way to wake up, man, that I just would never (laughs) wish on anyone. Really? That sounds terrifying. That's out of a, out of a horror movie. That'd be a a great scene in a horror movie. It would be a phenomenal scene in a horror movie. Uh, A lot, a lot of the hauntings weren't said to start occurring until after 1975. And what I would say to that is what I loved all those noises your chair made. I'm sorry. I wasn't (laughs) sure my mic was picking it up. Now I'm sad because I've been doing Uh, it all day. (laughs) um, So they're saying that. So when they turned into a boarding house after the lamps all passed away, that's when people started talking about the hauntings of the house. But my counter to that is that's just when people start talking about it. What if when Edwin Lemp was living here, he was experiencing all the hauntings as well. Going back to burning everything, he's like, you know what? Just burn it all. Oh, because I, I lived with this the whole I mean, and he didn't tell anybody. He was a recluse. He's not going to sit there and, you know, talk about how his family's haunting him. No one's going to believe him anyways. So 
also, yeah, I don't, you know, what people really telling ghost stories or talking about their experiences before the seventies as much, you know, the seventies is when it really took off when, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just people were panicking about ghosts and demons all over the place before that people might've been more hesitant to talk about that because they were more reserved. Right. Yeah. So, uh, going, yeah, that goes directly to my point. I believe that probably could have been happening. So I think the hauntings could have been happening a lot longer before they're reported. So what it's the boarding house, you're getting a lot of the, the banging and the noises. And then when Dick pointer buys it and turns it into a restaurant, <laughs> um, as they're renovating it, they had crews of workers walk off the job site because they were scared. So they would find their tools in different places. They would see apparitions and a couple of them were just like, Nope, I will see you later. And yeah. took off, which is also a common thing that we hear renovations. Um, during renovations. Like workers come across it all the time. It's it's a funny trope in the in the paranormal community, but it's one you hear over and over again. And the thing you always say, Dave, is you know you look for a baseline of what's what's recurring, and this is one of the recurring bits. Well, that's the scientific process. I mean, right. it's. it's when these things happen in multiple places that are supposed to be haunted, uh, it goes back to part of the stone tape theory. It also goes back to the fact that you follow the water, that water is in everything. Water is in the stones, water is in the wood, water is in people, water is in everything, and water retains memory. So when you disturb something that hasn't been disturbed in a long time, you deal with the stone tape theory that these things can replay these events. And it could be while you're doing construction, this water is released from these stones and you have a ton of events that can happen right away. And then once everything kind of evaporates or goes away, then these hauntings can quiet down. But that's why a lot of times with these houses, the construction crews go, they, 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 they experience the most horrifying hauntings. And that's because you're disturbing things that haven't been disturbed in a long time. Right. So all of that's interesting. The other thing I saw is I've seen a few um, psychic mediums that have gone in the house and they, I'll pick up on nine spirits being there. The boy Zeke that they find in there, they believe to be the illegitimate son of William Jr. And they're not positive of that. I've seen conflicting reports. Some, some say he was a child that was there after the Lemps were there when it was a boarding house. And he was staying there and they believe he was pushed down the stairs or something. But most believe that it's William Jr.'s illegitimate son there who was buried with that lemp that just the stone that says lemp for his tombstone mm-hmm. and and just to get back that, to the water the location of this place is is pretty much a couple blocks from the mississippi river as well right very close yeah and then there's the lavender lady which i talked about in the episode you know, like you walk by her painting you can smell the smells of lavender which was william William's uh, Billy's wife. So, yeah, there's artists adding um, flowers to the paint. Uh, when oh, really? The paint just to get the the paint paint to smell a certain way. They would oh, do that. I don't know how long that a uh, painting would still have that aroma, though. So maybe we, like should, uh, we should ask somebody that owns a painting company. Yeah, or like an artist who paints things. Yeah, maybe we can find one of those somewhere that knows mm. that knows uh-huh. these things. I don't know if any of them that are actually smart. That's true. 
That was a Dave joke. So all the painters that listen to the show, we're making fun of Dave right now. Dave owns a painting company. When in doubt, we are making fun of Dave. <laughs> Unless if Rob's making fun of your entire city, which is every single week. But you know, other than that, we're well, be better. Be better, St. Louis. Stop it. Stop it. St. Louis is a great time. I've been to St. Louis twice, and I had a great time both times. I thought I've been to St. Fantastic. Louis twice too, and it was both on my way to basic training. So. Not it's a little uh, different. Yeah, a little bit different, right? Downtown St. Louis, the Arch. It, it, it's, it's a wonderful time. Great restaurants, great food, great music. Good people. Mm. People are friendly. Mm. I enjoy St. Louis. I didn't I've get to been. enjoy it. I have never been. been twice. Well, if we do, I do think the Lent Mansion is one of the places that I would like to. Uh, I'd like to go stay there, but worst case scenario, I'd even like to just go get dinner there just to see it. The place is gorgeous. I was just on their website and uh, they do weddings and everything and they have done a very good job of keeping this place very, very fancy and very nice. So I would be down for that. That is a, the place looks uh, very, very, very nice to say the least. Yeah. So I think that pretty much covers everything for the Lump Mansion. Is there anything you guys wanted to add or ask about? I think we actually had a comment earlier while the video was playing, but uh, Mariah M said that she used to live a few blocks from the Lent Mansion, stayed there a few years ago. It has a vibe to it. So let us know. Shoot us an email if you get any extra info on that for sure. Or if you're still in chat, let us know what you thought. But um, that is cool. Yeah, it was uh, not far from places that I've been when I was in St. Louis, but I did not know to look for it. All right, let's hit on. I want to hit on two haunted locations in St. Louis, and then we'll do our reviews, and then we'll get out of here. Cool. So there is the haunted Roosevelt High School, and I'm just going to cover this in the post because it's this is all alleged allegedly stuff. So Roosevelt High School is allegedly built over a former graveyard, according to legend. Many of the graves were left undiscovered when the school was built, and the spirits of the restless bodies are said to haunt the school. The third floor of the school is also believed to be haunted by the spirits of former students and firemen who were killed in a fire. So that's a little scary. It is. Eh. The next settling. The next place is Six Flags St. Louis. Wow, we made a joke about Six Flags being haunted. I know we did. Ago. <laughs> we did. Opened in June of 1971, Six Flags St. Louis is said to be haunted by the spirits of two young girls whose apparitions are seen playing and laughing. And that is all the information on it. But um, that could have been not ghosts. That could have just been kids playing and laughing at an abu- at an amusement park. An amusement park. <laughs> well, it could have also been two ghosts, Dave. How do you know? You weren't there. You just admitted there. that you've never been to St. Louis. So how can you debunk <laughs> this? That's true. I've been to Six <laughs> Flags in Massachusetts, and I saw plenty of kids playing and laughing. Okay. That's right. Yep. Uh, Assassin asks, what is the most accurate paranormal equipment? Little side question there for you. Um, There's an answer right below it. Oh, yeah. Gigi Snap says, Dave is, uh, which is actually accurate. Dave just gets all the ghosts. Uh, We've had the most luck with uh, spirit boxes and EMF detectors. Those are two of the more popular uh, ones. Pretty cool EVP and a voice recorder once, too. Voice recorders are arguably the most important. Uh, I'm starting to like the dowsing rods, too, though. I mean, we need, are, more, we, yep. we need some more um, application with them, but I was I was interested in some of the results we got with dowsing rods. Exactly, and we were using them 
in one way that you can do it. The other way is you literally walk around with them, and then when they cross, you found the most haunted place in the building. So we'll we'll go back and figure out the exact right way to do it. I mean, the way we were doing it was working as well, so it was pretty cool. I do want to get to this. Mariah chimed back, and she says, I'm still here. I have a picture that is interesting. Would have to look for it since I moved. I would recommend a stay. We had a paranormal team uh, there the night we stayed. Okay, so it sounds like they're open to doing um, – Paranormal events. So. Oh, yeah, they have them all the time. Um, nice. They have tons of paranormal events. They are very inviting to the paranormal community. So it yeah. is a place that you can go to and investigate. They even, you guys will love this, they do, from what I was reading, a, I think it's an hour and a half or two hour long um, investigation session. And there is an open bar available while you are investigating. That sounds like we wouldn't get much done. Uh, I do want to touch on um, Spaguchi's comment here. He says, honestly, the best ghost detection is your eyes. And that is, uh, that is true as well. So, and not if you want people to believe you. Well, there's that, but is it, they they say that the the best tool for paranormal investigating is the paranormal investigator yourself. And that's not necessarily saying that you're going to see stuff without any equipment, but they're saying that it's, it's more so about, are you able to, use the equipment. Are you saying the right things? Are you prepared? Are you clear headed and everything? Uh, Mariah comes back and she says, uh, we used dowsing rods that night. We were in the lavender ladies room. Didn't sleep much that night. That is, uh, that is cool. That is cool. cool. I would love to do an overnight or something like that. Yeah. All right. Do we want to get into a couple of our reviews and get out of here? Yeah. All right. So the first one is from Salmonator. I am pretty skeptical on ghosts, but the podcast is super entertaining and interesting. The guys do a great job telling interesting stories and the history behind it on every episode. Really enjoyed listening to the discussions with the host in every podcast. Thanks for the hours of entertainment. Which is I got one here from Jessica Lamelli. That's Lamelli, excuse me. That says uh, ten out of ten would definitely recommend. Uh, it's our first ten star review. So that's, that's fun. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Uh, new listener from California, but it looks like I'm here for good. Great podcast. Love catching the live streams. As a state worker for social services, I sit in front of a computer all day and my days become mundane. Listening slash watching the podcast and extra content gets me through the long day. Love the stories and the history behind each episode. The, the banter and trash talk between you three lightens up the show and makes for good laughs. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. I've recommended the show to my best friend. As well, but I secretly think she tunes in to the streams for the quote-unquote eye candy, as she puts it. Judging by the way she's glued to, their, to her screen. Keep it up, guys. And the eye candy she's referring to, of course, is my dog, Gotham, who is always asleep on the couch while we do 100%. this show. That's <laughs> your spotless floor. That's so impressive. I mean, me and Dave have kids, so the floors are never spotless, but I am impressed. Uh, I'm not going to share a review, but I am going to share this picture that Cash photoshopped to me, which is why we were laughing earlier, which you're not going to be able to see, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, but there. <laughs> it's Fat Jesse. It was a joke on my swollen face today, and I don't appreciate that, but I could not stop laughing at it. He also sent me about 14 other ones, but this is the only one he tweeted at me. So, yeah. Yeah. We need to get you the um, camera from the train guy. Oh, yeah. The, Tom Brady just posted one. With, with I, yes. And I, I, I wanted to post the guy in the comments, but I went to the comments and everyone had already posted them. So I'm like, ah, yeah. too late. I was like, it's the 1492. It's the 1492. Dick my butt. 
<laughs> oh yeah, the train was called Dick My Butt. What a great name! That's almost as good as Dick Pointer. Yes, <laughs> the guy in the episode, my favorite. Um, <clears throat> before we close, I do want to thank the uh, the new Patreons that we got. We actually have a new one today. So Jesse, uh, Jesse, 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 yep, Jesse, yep, it's, yep, yep. It's, it's Patreon, and the people who subscribe are patrons. Yeah, I don't like the way you did the that. The site is Patreon. Subscribe. I know how it works. All right, that was you, very condescending the way that you approached it. Okay, well, do, Calm you, down. do you want to just clear your throat in front of everybody's ears again, or do you want to read this? Are you talking oh, to me yeah. or Jesse? Jesse, okay. I like either of you right now. Uh, so shout out to the patrons, Brandon. <laughs> w. Shout out to the patrons. <laughs> I did not say that. Can I get through this? All right, can we can we finish this? I want to thank our patrons, Brandon W, Sarah W, Soph M. Jake V, Hooper, Stephanie A, Dave Sucks, that's Seth W, uh, Captain McSlugs, and Sarah R. Are we okay now? And I hope you all shut up, according to Jesse. (laughs) I want to thank Sarah R because she sent in a really cool story that was, uh, she sent a video along with it that was a a really cool apparition that walked across the screen. Um, I'm probably going to reach out to her at some point to uh, see if I can include that into uh, an episode somewhere. So, but thanks, Sarah. That was awesome. That is cool. For the special $8 tier, I will tell you to shut up. (laughs) So, uh, it's not available right now. He calls and leaves you a voicemail every day. (laughs) 3 p.m. Anyways, uh, so this Friday we'll be back with some side content. Are we doing uh, Jesse James at the play? That's the play. Yeah, it's my own fault because I didn't watch the second horror movie yet, but I don't want to be left out again. So, instead, we're going to do the uh, the haunting of uh, Jesse James Ghost, a little side content, a little celebrity haunting episode for you guys. That'll drop on Friday for... And then, Jesse, do you, think, do you think two weeks is enough time for you to watch one movie? Yeah, I think so. All right, good. Yeah, <clears throat> and then uh, on Tuesday, we're going to cover uh, the Alcatraz, The Rock, as nice. they call it. Yeah, so That's a great story. It's going to be a fun one. will be Modesto, California. Oh... Dave does all the places that I can't pronounce. Modesto? That's an easy one. I guess I could say that one if I really wanted to. Last week was to. Mexico City. <laughs> that one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, anything else, gentlemen? Um, since you get an extra week, if you want to watch the movies with us, we are watching The Final Girls, and we are also watching The Descent. So, no. I apologize for telling all the, the patrons to shut up. My face hurts. Okay, swollen. It's been a tough day for me. Cash but I will not apologize to the people of St. Louis who do not know how to use cameras. That's a good point. But it's a beautiful city. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week.